Oh, okay, one, two, three, go. Are you, are you ready? I'm actually recording. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Unruly um, Software. The Unruly Software podcast. This is the most agile podcast out there. So we have That's been right. trying to get video up and running, but we've been struggling with that. This tool we used last time was just uh, no good, I would say, personally. It was a, a tool created by the company Dolby, I believe. Did you um, use the Dolby tools? Too. Yeah. I don't know if it I mean, actually it wasn't is. bad. It recorded both of our audio tracks in real time and pushed them up to the cloud and our video track. Yeah. So it was just like a, uh, it promised too much and delivered too little. Mm. And yeah. it was quite expensive. Mm. That'd be fine. So we need to find a, a better way to get our video out there. I might uh, have to do some research on it. We'll have to make a Twitch stream. A Twitch stream, yeah. Yeah, and then we can play Minecraft or something and stop like programming for our day jobs. That's always been your one of your... Uh, I'm better at Minecraft than I am programming. Jobs. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really bad at programming, but Minecraft is up there on my list of uh, skills. It's on my well, resume, actually. Uh, play towards your, your strengths, all right? So maybe you should just give the coding up. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But we should uh, change this to a Minecraft podcast. It's a tough market getting into the um, like Minecraft player uh, world, you know? Supply versus demand. Everyone wants me only yeah, as a software to, developer. Uh, yeah. No one wants to write TypeScript anymore. Well, my introduction to companies is like, uh, you know, first I get to know them as uh, as a software developer and then they get to know me as a Minecraft player when I inevitably don't do any tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and why isn't this ticket That's done? a joke. They're playing Minecraft. Oh, <laughs> that was a joke. That's fine. <laughs> Just as a clarification to my future employer listening to this podcast. <laughs> my future corporate overlord. Yeah, that's right. This might come back to bite you one day. You know what we haven't spoken about, though, just to derail? We haven't spoken about the conference. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Amazingly, we actually didn't plan to talk about that, but that's probably the most interesting thing we've ever done. How was your experience? So, okay, to give everyone a little bit of background, we went to TestCon. We were the moderators. We both had a track each. TestCon. TestCon Europe. Europe. That's Mm. right. The number one testing conference in the world. Yeah. It was quite large. Yeah. I was on the pink track. You were on the brown track. That's right. The poo-poo track. Uh, Not in a bad way. Just uh, (laughs) that's the color. Anyway. (laughs) Not in the terms of the quality of the talks. The talks were good. Yeah. I I enjoyed it. I loved all the talks. Can I I be honest or should I lie a little? I'll lie a little bit. (laughs) Well, I can't speak for you, but I enjoyed it. And... uh, um, I thought the time difference might be a little bit tricky for us, but it kicked off at like 5 p.m. Australian time. It's pretty convenient for us, yeah. Yeah, it was good. It would have been good if it finished up like just slightly earlier because it was, you know, 10 o'clock, getting past my bedtime. and. Yep. But uh, otherwise, it was pretty good duration and uh, got to hear a lot of interesting talks. I learned about mutation testing, which was, oh, yeah. uh, which was fascinating. I've never heard about that. about that. Yeah. What is that? Mutation testing is uh, how you test your tests. So instead of code coverage as a metric, because code coverage is bullshit, because you can just, all, all code coverage says is, has this line of code actually been run? But mm. um, mutation testing takes it a step further and says, if I fuck with your actual source code, will your tests break? So if I change all your equals signs to something else, or if I change your less thans to greater thans, do your tests break? Mm. So you create a whole bunch of mutations of your source code and run your unit tests against against them, and then uh, it'll you know spit out whether or not uh, all of the mutator muta- mutants mutators mutants were killed. 
So, mm. and where's the best? Or where is this being used currently? Is it in like a certain area? It was built by like NASA, apparently. Ah. Uh, NASA didn't end up using it um, in for what it was going to be, but I believe they still use it. And uh, the the speaker, I wish I could name remember his name, Raphael. Um, I'll, there'll be a link to that <laughs> in the description, uh, his talk. But um, he he was at a bank and uh, he discussed how he found out that uh, his entire code base, they had a metric for 100% code coverage, which is something that I've dealt with as well, like having a 90% code coverage metric that's mandated. And yep. what that means is you take the responsibility out of the developer's hands and you just say, as long as you make this code coverage metric, it doesn't matter what happens. And so what he found was all of the tests in the code base essentially just did the, you know how there's given when then? All of the tests were just given when. So he, they, no one ever asserted anything in unit tests. They just made yep. sure that every line of code was run. <laughs> that was it. That, like totally, as long as it was run once. Totally pointless, yeah. But it's also in like a highly mocked system. So it's not like at the top level and you're seeing like, does anything break? It's literally, literally nothing, which is something I've also experienced Um in uh, places that mandate code coverage, so have a look. So why do they why do they mandate code coverage? Nick? Can it actually work in some instances? Or? Well, because there's like uh, people want to. It's hard to put metrics on software development, like both on software quality, on uh, like uh, risk, like uh, on how secure someone's changes, because everything is so subjective. And so uh, coverage is one of those things where you can actually put a number against it very easily, which is like, has this line of code been run? And to someone who is not a programmer, but is in like an executive role, it sounds good to be able to say like, yes, our code is 100% covered essentially. Uh, And so that's like a metric that they, they demand, right? For safety. But they don't realize what the actual downstream effects are. It's the same thing like, uh, with they used to uh, uh, programmers used to be judged by what was it called s lock source lines of code so like mm. your uh your salary and like what your bonus was would be based on how many lines of code you contributed during the year uh and that yep. was like pretty bad because it just meant that people would make like the biggest doc strings ever <laughs> like on top of every method they'd be like uh at param whatever you know and that yeah. would increase your source lines of code so mm to get that cash somehow yeah exactly so it's a bit of a you know don't there's no good metrics to put on it other than like a number of uh, defects or something like that or like number of features but features are also different it's a very hard to pin down um uh, art software (laughs) so i suppose that's why the mutation stuff comes into play but so you said nasa used it yeah. Well, I think they came up with it actually, based on who's his using talk. it now. But like, is it back end? Is it front end? Is it? It's anything. So, it so like it's more of a principle. Stuff or, okay. There's a library that he recommended called um, Pit, which is a Java framework. Um, so obviously, anything that uses Java. So it's like a unit testing thing. So uh, it'd be like saying, is it front end or back end? Uh, Mocha, for example, like is Mocha front end or back end? It's just like a testing framework. So. Anywhere there's code that can be written and run, you could use mutation testing to tell whether or not it's working. It wouldn't really probably be super useful in um, like React because it does have to actually modify and compile your code. So it needs to be something that's fast. So like unit testing a calculation is the ideal like 100% value or uh, like 
unit testing uh, like some API, that's pretty high value. Um, but if it takes a long time to run your test, then it's not worth doing it. It needs to be like milliseconds per test run. Otherwise, it'll you'll feel it pretty hard. Because it actually changes the source code for each test run, and it runs the whole test suite against those mutations. Okay. Yeah. Was that the last talk in the day or the first talk? It was the last talk. It was the one. It was the one that made the day worth it. It was. Oh, that's good. It was the only one that made it worth it. My favorite was the first one. What was your Um, first one? Yevgenia Glavatska from Wix. Yeah. QA team lead. Or QA guild member, maybe. Anyway, she's QA at Wix. And uh, her whole talk was about how to how to make developers want to write end-to-end tests. So oh, that, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you, got, you were in that one. <laughs> I think they're going through a bit of a change at Wix where they've had existing teams where like a QA team would come behind and and check all the quality of the software after and then give like a a list of bugs back to the developers and they would fix it. So there was two-team approach to how the testing worked, but yep. now they're trying to move to more of a DevOps kind of... Uh, Having people DevOps. integrated in the team, you mean? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So the people inside the team are responsible for writing their own tests and the whole talk was about um, like different perspectives that people take. So like front-end developers, when they hear that they have to start writing their own tests in their mind, they think, oh, it means I'm going to be writing less features. So yeah, um, it was just interesting to see that everyone kind of suffers these same, these same challenges around getting people to write tests and valuable tests. She talked a lot about um, if a test wasn't valuable to make sure you get rid of it as fast as possible because yeah. all it does is slow the team down and literally dead. reduces yeah and reduces yeah. everyone's motivation to write tests i think we talked about that uh which talk was that we sort of discussed that in um in one of my talks as well we talked about the uh the value of manual testing in uh in one of my talks mm. and uh, one of the things he was talking about is that um <clears throat> you shouldn't over like you don't need to test every data combination like you need to essentially i think the gist of it is just be a responsible human like what are the things that actually matter to the business and test those yep. and don't. So for example, I've worked with QA teams before <laughs> and uh, what tends to happen is like the, the most internal and easiest to test things are the ones that actually get tested, uh, but they get tested very thoroughly. Um, but those tests don't mean anything because there's no tests like penetrating the entire stack. Right. And so those are the hard things that take someone very responsible to, to go ahead and accomplish. But, uh, are th- those are the ones that actually like make people sleep well at night is like, does that test pass? Yes. All right. Well then I know nothing is broken. Right. Mm. So it's sort of, sort of along, along the same lines, but most of the test cases that QA teams will build seem to be uh, uh, mostly empty, like no actual business value, even though they're written in cucumber and that's meant to be like the, Oh, it's, it's written. So the product manager can read it, but no product manager ever gives a fuck. So <laughs> The other thing she was saying was end-to-end tests should be short. So at least if you've got flaky ones, it doesn't ruin the whole testing system. Yeah. People don't want to run tests for long amounts of time and then have them fail and try to work out why they're failing. So if they're 
broken down into smaller end-to-end tests a lot easier to into modules of tests yeah which ones are working for you and which ones aren't yeah then i was just thinking about the day where there was like a whole heap of tests and you just commented them all out and you're like yeah don't worry about these tests yeah i mean that was (laughs) so i i i I really think that um, there's like a hierarchy of value in tests and um, the ones that are, and this has been shaped by like Martin Fowler's posts on the subject and reading um, Bob Martin stuff and trying to believe in TDD and seeing TDD fail so hard, like writing so many unit tests that test very small implementation details. Um, what that typically ends up having, and, and that's a lot of the tests that I deleted, that typically ends with you having like every single Lego brick has a test associated with it. Like that's the normal style when someone tells me that they're following TDD. Every yeah. single Lego brick has a test. However, we have not tested the structure. We have not tested the bridge that we built out of the Lego bricks. But I guarantee you, all of the lumber and timber that went into the bridge were correct. Like <laughs> this one's exactly four feet long. No one can ever yeah. change it to be anything else. Yeah. But the only thing that really matters. That's a really good analogy. Yeah. That's the best analogy I've heard. The only thing that matters is the bridge at the end of the day. Like does the yeah. bridge hold a person? That's, that's like right. a very valuable test that you can get very easily at the start. And then that's like, you, that's the sanity check test. So for example, in the application we're both building, I have like two or three tests where the, that are my, like, if this is broken, I have fucked something royally. Like those are the overall tests essentially. And so I think if you come up with those like key 15 or so tests that take maybe 20 seconds to execute, and these are like slow tests, right? They're taking seconds to execute. That is what will actually guide the development of your product more so than, having like each class has a test next to it. I think that's much lower value because that also, yeah, go. To use the wood analogy again. Yeah. If every piece of the wood's four foot long, you don't really care. And what happens is maybe in one spot, you need a three foot piece of wood and a one foot piece of wood. And then the tests break. Yeah, exactly. The bridge is still up. (laughs) That's what I was about to talk about as well, because the thing is, The most frustrating thing is when you get a feature and the most of what you end up doing is deleting tests, like, because, and then, and then feeling guilty because you've deleted tests and feeling like you need to rewrite the tests to match the new, um, like feature essentially. And you write the test in a way that like locks the in, like the implementation detail to the test as much as possible, have your tests, in my mind, if you're looking for rapid development and you're not building like healthcare solutions, uh, then uh, build your tests so that there's some flexibility, like give in the way that they're implemented. Because yep. requirements will change. You won't always use um, SNS. You might go to GCP and then you'll need PubSub. You know, don't, don't write every single test like tightly, tightly coupled to the, uh, the implementation. That'd be your dream. Take it to GCP. Imagine that. Yeah. Wow. My favorite. Great day. My favorite platform. <laughs> so but what overall, else? I think I think the moderating was fun, right? No. No, I hated it. Oh, <laughs> are you serious? You already know. <laughs> Did you? No, you I hated like, it. You didn't like it? Oh, what? Why? What? <laughs> are you surprised? <laughs> Well, the thing is they contacted us uh, because they heard the podcast and um, they spoke to, to Frank and was like, oh, yeah, can you guys moderate for us? And I was like, oh, yeah, it'll, fi- it'll be fine, the two of us. Like, I don't have to, like, talk to the other person. I can just make jokes and talk shit about technology. 
And then it was like, no, can you both do your own track? Which means I have to talk to people on my own. Like yeah, introduction. <laughs> Growing as a person. I did not grow as a person. Big, big soft skills development for you. No joke. After the conference, I actually slept for a full 20 hours. I was so exhausted and tired and like depressed <laughs> and over, <laughs> over my existence. I said that's And then like... Yeah. I mean, you know, some of the talks, I just had so many comments that I wanted to to vent about their talks. And I had to be nice and just like read the questions at the end. Like they don't they don't invite you to be a moderator because they're interested in what you have to say. Right. So right, I propose this. If I can get you a, a talk at a conference, would you do it? Uh, organize it. <clears throat> Well, I think you'd be good. <laughs> no, see, the thing is, I would love to. I think the best way for me to do that isn't possible right this second. I think what I should do uh, is do talks at like uh, the Ruby meetup, so that sort of thing. Like that's how most people get into conference talks. Like fail small rather than uh, big to start with. I think they'd probably be better. Big. Crash and burn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. What better way to learn than in front of 200 of your highly educated peers? I only had to talk for six minutes to be the moderator and I was like pacing up and down. Ah. Look, if, uh, you know, you can, you're allowed to be a software developer if you have some uh, moderate social anxiety. I'll just uh, yeah. <laughs> let me be evidence if anyone's listening. It's expected. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember it's allowed. done the talk at um, Coder Academy. That was quite good. I thought you'd done a good job. I think I give decent talks. I just, um, I have to get into the right mindset and I have to be relaxed. And it's much easier if I know some of the people. Ah, uh, yeah. Like this podcast is more uh, manageable for me because I know you. So like uh, it's a, if I was talking to a random, like I, I, I just freeze up. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got more things to talk about, but this is a, this is a lightning episode. Isn't this it? is the lightning round. Play the lightning sound effect. Play the light. <laughs> we just played oh, the lightning oh, sound effect. Did you hear that? <laughs> Hopefully I edited that did in. I, did you have that loaded in? I didn't think that. <laughs> yeah, So that means that we're now going to play the outro music. Yeah. That's it for yeah, the is. lightning round. This is the lightning round episode. So you got the little update on testing and test confident. What's on the next episode? Logging. We're going to talk about logging. This was unexpected. We didn't think we'd talk about testing. <laughs> Perfect. It's <laughs> a very important subject. So we, we wrote a list of things we had to talk about. Didn't talk about one of them. None of we them. We got a full episode out of it. That's We're very good at planning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, comment, and share. Subscribe uh, on whatever platform, uh, if yep. that's possible. Who knows? Uh, we have a Discord. You can join us. It's in the description. Oh, you yeah, can. Then you can ask any questions that you want. If you want us to moderate your your. A fantastic conference. Go to uh, podcast.unreleasedsoftware.com yep. and uh, send us a message. And if you want your startup architected, send us a message as well. We'll do that for fun. Uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, my time's just been contracted for me. Okay, bye. All right, bye.